How many is ready for the Word of God? I'm excited to bring it. How many understand that I have been encouraging, encouraging you and just really hopefully building you up in the most holy faith and the, through the Word of God of just how special you are to God and how much God loves you and He's for you? And if you never catch the revelation of who you are in Christ, you will never live in victory. Amen? But today I'm going to give you a warning from Scripture. Everybody say warning. Is it okay if your pastor warns you sometimes? Sometimes the Bible lays out very clearly some warnings. Why? Because God loves you and he wants to keep you safe. Do you have any parents or grandparents in this house this morning? Amen. Your kids, you do certain things and put them kind of in a position where you just want them to be safe and healthy and loved. And that's what my heart is this morning as I've studied this over the last few days. So if you have your Bible, turn to Matthew 22 and then... Shortly thereafter, we're going to go to Judges 15 and 16. And in Judges 15 and 16, we're going to see the life of Samson. And the, I've never, never taught on Samson. I've been through some, some men's classes that I've done before. We even did one here in regards to Samson. I've never personally taught on Samson, but it is a great book for warning. So go to Matthew 22. We're going to look at verse 37 as an anchor text, and then we're going to jump into Judges 15 and 16. I want to tell you a little story as I open today. Just a few months ago, my son turned 15 uh, the, the October before last. So when young people turn 15 in Florida, they get a learner's permit. And my son got a learner's permit, so that then put me in the position to load him up in the car, and I got the pleasure an absolutely terrifying experience of sitting in the passenger seat as he drove around. I'll tell you this right now, and this, I mean this with all my heart. He led me to the Lord several times. <laughs> I never had a better relationship with Jesus than when I was teaching my son how to drive because we get so used to operating a motor vehicle or really anything in life. After you've done it for a number of years, we just kind of had the mindset well, everybody can do this, right? And one of the things about cars is everybody in here knows that, that drives, and that, you know, is everybody in here, I assume, is they have blind spots. Everybody say blind spots. And I learned really quick that in the process of teaching him that I would have to tell him, Hud, my son's name's Hudson, so we call him Hud, Big Hud. And I said, Big Hud, I said, did you not see that before you moved into that lane? No, I didn't, Dad, I didn't see. So I began to explain what the principle was of blind spots. And please don't tell him I, I told you this, but I came out one morning after he actually officially started driving, and my, I have a light pole kind of far out in my yard, and when I walked out, it was like this. <laughs> so he had been learning how to drive in my truck, he had been learning how to drive in it, and my truck has a sensor on it that when you get close to something, it begins to beep. Does anybody else's car do that? How did we ever learn to drive without all of this stuff? I mean, y'all, when I started driving at 16, it was just a big hunk of metal with a carburetor in the front of it, and we just, we just let it rip, tater chip, right? We just did it. And he said, Dad, it didn't beep. He was driving what is now his car, which used to be his, my wife's car. His, that car doesn't beep. And I, I said, Hud, this is another example of a blind spot when you were backing up that you didn't see. And can I tell you something this morning as a spiritual application of what I want to talk about is that we all have blind spots. We all have areas in our lives that we do not see a danger or we do not see where the enemy would maybe try to entice us or try to pull us into something. But I want to begin this morning as, a, as an anchor text here in Matthew 22, verse 37. If you're there, say amen. amen. Jesus replied, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. Father, for these next few minutes, God, I pray that whatever is said is said under the unction of your Holy Spirit. Father, without your anointing, I'm nothing. So Holy Spirit, I pray that whatever said in Jason Hanks would fall by the wayside, but or whatever is said under your Holy Spirit to go into the hearts of these people to grow fruit. God, we're looking for fruit. And Holy Spirit, I just ask you to pick out and show us our blind spots this morning. 
in Jesus' mighty name, and all God's people said, Amen. Amen. I made the discovery that a lot of us don't have a lot of familiarity with the book of Judges. And while I'm talking, go ahead and turn to Judges 15. We're going we're gonna to park there for a little while this morning. But a lot of us don't have a lot of familiarity with this book for the simple reason that when you sit down to do your devotions with the Lord, perhaps, it's not a book that you naturally find yourself gravitating towards. But I really think it has a very strong, very important, and very crucial application to our lives individually in the life of a church for one simple reason. The book of Judges, as it's laid out, and it's interesting to, to understand as we begin to read about the life of Samson, is God's design was for the people of God to not have a king. So he raised up people called judges. And the reason he had judges, they ruled over and they made decisions about the political life of Israel and the spiritual life, the religious workings in life of Israel. And what you see in the book of Judges, and the reason it's so important for us today, is because in the, in the book of Judges, you see what's called a pattern. Everybody say pattern. The pattern was that they would live their lives very close to God, and then they would disobey, and the judges were there to tell the people, look, you're not following God's word, you're not following his ways, so if you're not going to do that, there are consequences to not being obedient to what God is saying. So God, all throughout the book of Judges, raised up men and women. Deborah's a woman. She was raised up to be a judge in the book of Judges. But what we see here is the nation had a repetitive cycle of this, being close to God and then being far away from God. And Samson is one of these judges that we're going to look at today. And we see that Samson, that God gives Samson to the people of Israel through his parents because Israel was in a dark time of disobedience and turning their back. In other words, they were making bad choices and they were in decades of being far away from God. So the judgment of God was on the people of God. So God was raising up another judge and this one happened to be Samson. Now, if you know the story, his parents, is, is, he's being born, dedicated him to the purpose of judging Israel. And that doesn't mean judging in the sense of negativity. It meant, it meant ruling and leading and being a person of integrity. But what you see in the life of Samson, and this absolutely just stuns me, is he was somebody that was put in a place of leadership and authority, yet we see throughout his life he did not operate in the wisdom of God. He did not operate in the way that God, in other words, not only did the people of, of Israel make bad choices, but we see we see Samson making bad choices. Here's what I want to, first point I want to make tonight, to, today. We don't ruin our lives and get outside of the will of God all at once. It happens one step at a time. Amen? And we discover about Samson real quick, he was a judge without good judgment. So, for 20 years, as we pick up here in the scripture we're about to read in Judges 15 and 16, we see a period of 20 years that the people of God have been in this cycle of being close to God and being far away from God, being close to God and being far away from God. So in relation to the scripture that I just read, everybody say heart. The first and greatest commandment is that we would love the Lord our God with all of our heart, soul, strength, and mind. Would everybody agree with that? So my question this morning is, how can a person who is given the highest position in, this, in the land, a position recognized for good and sound judgment, how is it that his life can end in a place of defeat and end in a place of shame? And today, I just want to look at his life and give you a few warnings about his life that will help us. Again, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. And I want you to notice the terminology right there. Notice this. Jesus is saying clearly, if you are going to have a meaningful connection with God, the first thing that you have to give heed to is the fact that he is looking for you to devote all of your heart to him. I'll say it again. If you are going to have a meaningful relationship and a meaningful connection with God, it's important to understand that God isn't looking. So that brings me to my first and best question. How much of your heart does God have? Does he have half? Does he have three quarters? 
Does he have just a small part of your heart? Because one thing I learned by looking at the whole value of scripture and the whole thing from front to back, God is a God that does not do anything halfway himself. So God is either all in or he's all out. God is either either completely and totally we devote ourselves to him and give him all of our heart because what happens to any of us is we simply say, God, we, we say, God, our doctrine, and this isn't doctrinally incorrect, but I think it's, it shows us where maybe we are as a church as a whole, especially in the United States of America, is we say this, and this isn't wrong because I do this almost every service. We want you to invite Jesus into your heart, right? And that is great. That is exactly what we're looking for you to do. But can I take it a step further this morning? And instead of just necessarily saying, Jesus, we want you to come into our heart, can we go a step further and say, Jesus, I want to give you all of my heart? Because a divided heart, as we'll look at this morning, is what I believe Samson was struggling with. In other words, you see the pattern that he was he was doing well, and even for a period of years and decades, it shows us that we have an enemy that would love to try to pull on the affectionate strings of our heart because I'll tell you what living for Jesus is. It isn't Jesus come into my life and begin to rearrange the furniture. It's Jesus come into my life and my heart and I give you everything that I am and when you give him everything that you are, can I assure you that God will give you everything that he is? Because when he comes in and takes up residence, what have you become? You have become a new creation in Christ Jesus. The old things have passed away and behold, all things have become new. If that's the life that you desire, if that's the life that you're looking for, can I tell you a key in getting there isn't to go halfway in with God, it's to go all the way in with God. And this morning I just want to point out some warnings in Scripture, very important for us to understand and know that God warns us, God shows us at times, hey, get this part right. Again, it's like the story I began with, we all have blind spots. We all have areas where, especially if you're driving down a road like the turnpike, the pay toll road down to Tampa, I mean, you have death coming at you at usually 90 miles per hour somewhere, and that, if that comes up in a blind spot, you can make a move. And the importance of what I'm talking to you about today is that the world and times that we're living in church, we don't need divided hearts. We don't need hearts that are somehow focused on this over here when God's calling us to give us, give him completely our heart. God is not looking into your life and says, I want to casually rearrange the furniture. God is asking, will you give me your heart. And what we see in Samson is, God, I'll invite you in to get me out of this mess, but he never reaches a place of giving God his heart. Now, I'll confess to you this morning, I have been the type of Christian at different times in my life when I'll cry out to God, God, get me out of this mess, but really I'm reserving areas of my heart. Is anybody with me this morning? God, get me out of this. So here's my self-evaluating question for all of us. If we were to try and measure how much of our heart God actually owns, what would our response be? If we were to evaluate how much of our heart God actually owns, what would our response be? Would it be a wholehearted God, you have it all? Or God, you have half? Here's the beauty of what I'm saying, and really not only the beauty but also the warning of what I'm saying this morning is we could all say God has all of our heart and really truly in the deepest part of us, we know that we know that we know that we haven't surrendered everything to him. The reason I say that is because in the life of Samson, when he's given to God by his parents, they made something called a Nazarite vow. Everybody say Nazarite vow. The Nazarite vow was simply this. No razor would ever cut his head. He wouldn't drink wine. He wouldn't do these things. He, in other words, when he was born, he was completely dedicated to God. And if you were to look at him from an outward appearance, he looked like he was following the vow that his parents made and passed down to him. 
but inwardly there was something of his heart that he had completely surrendered to God because what we see as we jump into Judges 15 and 16 is that he would get himself into a place, and very important to remember, he was getting himself into this trouble. We discount and misunderstand the circumstances and consequences that we find ourselves in or the majority of the time are doing. I knew this wouldn't be a very popular sermon this morning, but it's the truth. So we we try to keep these areas of our life. Outwardly, we look great. Outwardly, we look like Samson. Outwardly, we've got the hair. I mean, if I'd have known to have spiritual power, I needed to grow as my hair, you'd see it. Leah said one of the most awful things she said to me the other day. Do you guys want to hear it? I wasn't planning on saying this. I was in the kitchen and I was fixing something. She had been gone with the, with my daughter and had come back in. It was late at, late in the evening. It was probably eight nine o'clock, and I was so excited what she said because I thought she was telling me that I had lost weight. So I'm like, oh, she walks in. She says, "It's so light. You've gotten so much lighter." And I said, "Baby," and I think I was eating a cookie at the time. So I'm like, oh, "Thank you so much." And I did. I said, yeah, I've been really, you know, I've been really trying to, to lose a fish. She said, no, your hair. It has gotten so, am I telling the truth? She's like, your hair. And then my daughter kicks in. Oh, my goodness, I think you've lost even more. And I'm like, oh. I had to guard my heart in that moment. I had to guard it. So what's the reason God wants our heart? If I'm presenting to you today as an intro and an introduction of what I want to talk about, that we have blind spots, that teaching my son, that son, as you drive down the road, and his spiritual application is simply, as we go through life, we all need to be cognizant that there are blind spots where the enemy is hiding. There were blind spots in Samson's life where the enemy was hiding, and God gave him space for grace Aren't you glad God is a gracious God? God was continually trying to work these things out of Samson, but when you look at the totality of his life, you're not talking about 20 months or 20 days or 20 hours. You're talking about 20 years, and he came to a place where he ended up in ruin and destruction. And can I tell you something this morning? The enemy doesn't do things halfway either. (laughs) The reason... Number one, that we need to give God all of our heart is because if your heart is divided, that is the blind spot that the enemy is operating in. The wisest person to ever live outside of Jesus and Jason Hanks (laughs) by the name of Solomon and his collection of wisdom is called Proverbs. And in Proverbs verse 4.23, it says, Above all else... Guard your heart, for everything you do flows from it. Another translation says this, Guard your heart above all else, for it determines the course of your life. The reason that God wants your heart, and you come to the immediate conclusion, the issues and course we take in life is determined by the direction and affections of your heart. So what God is saying is, if you let me in on the front end of your life, if you give me all of your heart, if you dedicate it all to me, because oftentimes we say, yes, you've got my heart on Sunday, Lord, but on Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday and Friday, especially Friday night when somebody calls, right? When somebody, hey, let's go. Oh, I'm telling the truth. What God is saying is if we let him have all of our heart, you won't have the issues that other people have. If you gave God all of your heart, and listen to me this morning, do not misunderstand what I'm saying. We're all sinners who fall short of the glory of God. We all have places in our life that are blind spots where the enemy is very patient and he's very much looking at a time when he can try to trip us up. So what is the guard that we can have in order to end up at a better destination than Samson ended up at. It's having God have all of our hearts. You end up at a different place all because you put him first. So I ask you again, how much of your heart 
does God have? Here's what Timothy Keller, and I want you to listen to this closely, says in a commentary on Proverbs 4.23. Listen to this. What the heart most wants, the mind finds most reasonable. The emotions find valuable, and the will finds doable. What makes people into what they are is the order of their loves. What they love most, more or less and least, that is, the most, more, that is more fundamental to who you are than even the beliefs to which you mentally subscribe. Your loves show you what you actually believe in, not what you say you do. I'll say it again. What the heart most wants, the mind finds reasonable, the emotions find valuable, and the will finds doable. What makes people into what they are is the order of their loves. So it is a strong question for us this morning, all of us, including myself. Does God have all of your heart? Have you given it completely over to him? Why? Because everything follows your heart. If you want to know where the course of your life is headed and the direction that it's going, what we need to do is ask God, God, show me my blind spots. God, show me what's going on in my heart. So what you see with Samson is he was never willing to let God conquer his heart. He was never willing. He would get into a place where he'd need God and need his power and need him to come through, and he'd cry out to God, and God was so gracious and so loving and so dedicated and so patient with changing Samson that we see God come through. But can I tell you not how in a lot of ways not to get into the position and place where you have to scream and cry and, and, and God help me, God help me, God help me, is just put God first in the beginning with all of your heart and all the issues of life will come out in a way that is pleasing to God and beneficial for you. So look at Judges 15. We're going to start in verses 19 and 20 and then we're going to jump into, into uh, chapter 16 to finish up this morning. Judges 15, 19 through 20. Then God opened up the hollow place in Lahai, and water came out of it. When Samson drank, his strength returned, and he revived. So the spring was called in Hakor, and it is still there in Lahai. Samson led Israel for 20 years in the days of the Philippines. So look back up this way, and don't read all of the rest of Judges 15 on me. So I see your guys' heads down. I know you're continuing reading. Just listen to me for just a second. What this is laying out is right there at the end. For 20 years, listen to me, for 20 years, he is on the right track. For 20 years, he looks to put his problems behind him. But can I just be real, real, really real with you this morning? What we see here at the end of his life is he ignored and he covered up. And can I tell you something this morning? Anytime we ignore and we cover something up, God knows it's there. The enemy sees by your actions what is there. And he's in a blind spot. And can I remind you this morning as a way of warning, he wants to kill, steal, and destroy. In other words, he is not a kitty cat. I don't like cats, by the way. He's a, he, he says he's a roaring lion, as a roaring lion. What does that mean? He, he's not out to just scratch you. He's out to devour. You say, man, I'm so glad I came on this Sunday morning. <laughs> you will be. Because if you get to the place of full surrender with God, you're gonna, your life's going to be radically changed. Radically. That's what your pastor wants. That's what, he, that's what God wants. And, and God wants for you. And your pastor wants to see you safe. So he went from this scripture to where we're going to jump next to his eyes gouged out and a laughing stock. So my question simply was, how do you go from this to this? So number one this morning, the warning of scripture we see, we don't usually ruin our lives all at once. It is one step away from God at a time. When we see a great fall, and especially in ministry and churches and over the last decade or two, we've seen some tremendous, you know, uh, churches just get hit by scandal and hit by things going on. 
And it reminds me that we say, oh, that was a great fall. Can I tell you, it's one step at a time, just like it was in the life of Samson to the place that he. So look at chapter 16 if you need to turn the page. Verse 1. Got a lot of scripture for you. Is that okay? One day, Samson went to Gaza where he, where he saw a prostitute. Again, he's going one step at a time. He went in to spend the night with her. The people of Gaza were told, Samson is here. So they surrounded the place and lay in wait for him all night at the city gate. They made no move during the night, saying at dawn, at dawn we will kill him. Everybody say one day. This passage starts off with a very interesting word. One day. Start, say it again, one day. So 20 years, let me, let me pull this together for you. We see in 15, 20 years have passed by. 20 years of him judging Israel. 20 years of evidently him keeping himself away from certain things in some regards that God had clearly told him to stay away from. So you see a long period of time pass, and then you see the words, one day. It reminds me of another story in the Bible of David and Bathsheba. Because the story of David and Bathsheba, and if you're not familiar with the Bible story of David and Bathsheba, it starts off with this. One day, when kings went out to war, David stayed back. My simple point and principle of the word of God in warning about our blind spots is that blind spots can even develop over time when we grow lackadaisical and cold in our relationship with God. So one day... And to understand something very, very important about this, this thing that we all struggle with and fight with and push against, and if you're spiritually suited up in your spiritual armor, if you're ready to take on the enemy when he tries to come against us, we understand that we all battle with something called sin and iniquity, right? Let me just give you, and I, I haven't had the time to really deeply study this out, but let me just give you an understanding of how the enemy can take somebody who for 20 years pretty much did what was right, and then it says one day they're suddenly led to do something wrong. It's an understanding of iniquity and a Hebrew word. And I want to tell you something this morning, that you studying Scripture and getting sermons out of it is something we were taught in Bible school called exegesis. I just want to give a little disclaimer that don't take the, the way the, the, the Hebrew alphabet was formed and exegeted. It doesn't make for proper sermons, but I'm going to do it anyway. Because all the ancient languages were created out of pictographs, all of them. But the interesting thing about the Hebrew language, which your Old Testament was written in, is the fact that they were the oldest pictograph language that existed at the time. So when you see this word iniquity in the Old Testament, iniquity has a stronger connotation. So I I thought of what word to use in describing how Samson could end up at this place. But there is a difference, and I I don't want to say levels because sin is sin. Does everybody understand that? But let me say this. There are stages that are right in front of us if you understand what the word for iniquity and sin was in the Old Testament. And the, the word for iniquity and sin in the Old Testament was called avon. Everybody say avon. A-V-N. Now, we add the O in there for English, so we're able to pronounce it, but it's A, the, the Hebrew letter A, the Hebrew letter V, and the Hebrew letter N. The interesting thing about those three letters is they originally, before they were a written language, were pictures. And what I found studying about iniquity and sin, because... We can all leave here and have the sin of maybe malice in our heart because somebody cut us off in traffic or get angry when we get home because the kids didn't pick up the clothes and we can quickly repent of that. There is a different level and stage to just sinning and repenting of it as the Bible teaches and shows us to walk in repentance to a level where we are allowing iniquity to grow in our hearts. It's my thought and presentation to you today that Samson ignored his blind spots, covered them up, ignored them, kept them in a blind spot because he thought by a blind spot, not only do I not see it, but God and nobody else sees it. So the very first picture of the A in the Hebrew was an I. Everybody say I. 
like you see through. The second picture in the word iniquity, so when they read this, they weren't in the, originally, they weren't looking at letters. They were looking at a picture that they immediately understood what iniquity really meant because not only was it an I, the second letter was a hook. Everybody say hook. The third letter was fish multiplying. So you had two fish, and then you would have four fish, and then you would have eight fish. That is the word that's translated in the Old Testament, Testament as iniquity. Because, church, if you allow yourself to go down a road like Samson did to a point where sin doesn't just tempt you a little bit and you turn your back on it, there is something that begins to form. Again, go back to our hearts. If God has all of your heart, then we have a natural beeping warning sign when we're backing up into something that the Holy Spirit and God's word will begin to beep, 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 beep. Stop. There's something there that you're not seeing. Because the principle in the Bible is that whatever has my attention gets my affection, and whatever has my affection has the possibility of hooking. I thought about bringing a fishing pole in here. (laughs) I did. Because that's exactly what the word is laying out there. Let me see. Let's just use this. Let's use this inert oil. It's anointing. I'm just messing with it. Inert. That's how we say it in Louisiana. Inert. Listen, if, if I'm focused on God, he has all of my heart. And I think at one time, Samson said, God, I'm tired of just crying out prayers of help me, help me, help me. God, I, needed to, I need to kill these Philistines. God, I need to kill this lion. Because what you begin to see is he had a Nazarite vow. Nazarites were were sworn that they would touch no dead thing. Why is he using the, 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 the jaw of a donkey? Is that not dead? Because we all have the tendency to think, well, this is me, and I can't end up with my head shaved and in the enemy's captivity. Are you listening to your pastor today? Because what we see is he's focused on God, and all of a sudden, one day... Can I tell you, the enemy has a one day. He's patient. You better wake up every morning and begin to put your armor on and begin to fight against this thing called sin and iniquity because it's desire, the Bible says. It crouches at the door and its desire is to have you. So the the principle of the word avon is whatever you begin to focus on with your eye, you begin to be hooked to. And whatever you begin to be hooked to, multiplies in your life. Let me give you an example. Through for years, especially as a college and career pastor, for a period of years that the church I came from, I did a lot of premarital counseling. And I used to sit down with certain couples and I'd meet with them together and then sometimes I'd meet with them separately. And when I'd meet with them, it was all about what their eye was hooked to because what their eye was hooked to was all the good. <laughs> Come on, somebody. And I tell certain ones of them, do you not see that about him or her? No. I don't see it. And then four months later, they're in my office. She's an awful person. I'm like, yeah, she was a drama queen before you married her. Are you surprised that she is now? Or, men, I'll give you a good example this morning. Have you ever walked on a car lot? Oh, come on. The four-cylinder is better on gas than the eight. But that's an eight-cylinder. <laughs> Listen, I've sat in cars, and it's like a spirit of stupid just comes and sits down. He just comes and, he just comes and hugs me. And the worst part of it, in two instances, instances in my life, oh, I regret this. And you say, why two? Because I'm as dumb as Samson. I bought something without telling my wife about it because I thought pulling in the driveway, she would be excited. Can I tell you, church, she was not excited. What is that? It's a V8. Yeah. What happened? My eye got hooked to it, 
And what your eye gets hooked to multiplies in your life. It's the principle of iniquity and it's a level of sin. What we're looking at here in Samson's life is he covered things and never really allowed. Simply put, God didn't have all of his heart. So guard your heart for out of it flow all the issues of your life. And if you give God your heart, there will be a guard on it. And what I want everybody in this room to do, including myself, God help me, is to stay so close to Jesus and so focused on him that other things don't begin to get my attention over here. Because what gets your attention with your eye, you could eventually become hooked to. Can I tell you? The same principle in the spirit for the negative works in the spirit for the positive. If you keep your eyes firmly fixed on Jesus, the author and finisher of your faith, it's going to save you from danger. It's going to save you from difficulty. I'll go back to the marriage illustration. There's so many young people that I talk to and one of the first questions I'd ask them, I'd say, what's your parents think of them? Well, and I tell them, I say, if you've got to dig for the gold, it ain't there, honey. Are you listening to me? Because I was trying to just exactly what I'm doing today is we can save ourselves a whole lot of heartache because nobody wakes up in the morning like Samson and says, I think I want to lose all my spiritual power be a pariah in my own nation, have my leadership stripped away, and be in the, the, the Philistine temple. The Philistines are just a spiritual example of the enemies of God, right? It's just, that's what it is. It's laid out there showing that the Philistines never stopped in 20 years having their eyes on Samson to try to drag him into something. And here's the thing about the enemy. They know, they knew, and the enemy knows what your eye gets hooked to. But when God has all of your heart, he'll begin to take those hooks out of our heart. He begins to put up a guard over us. Amen? Amen. What your eye hooks to will absolutely multiply. What you focus on. What does the Bible say? The Bible says a man sins when he's drawn away by his own desires. That's my question today. What? is your utmost desire. Where are your affections laid? Because for all of us, if our affections begin to get on anything else, we walk into a place of danger. Look back at the most difficult, heartbreaking verse in this passage where Samson has put himself in the lap of the enemy. And as you read through Judges 16, it's obvious as Delilah, as a type of the enemy, she keeps coming back to, when you read Judges 16, and I encourage you to do it for the sake of time, we won't. But what we see right here is that she continually asks a question. What she's trying to do is find out the source of his power. What is a real source of your power? And she, she'd often make, why won't you tell me? In other words, what I see in there directly is, why won't you give me your heart? The enemy is after your heart. The enemy is after your affection. The enemy is after what you focus on because he knows it has the potential to hook you. As Samson finally gives in and gives up and gives Delilah the source of his power, but notice this, his hair wasn't the power. The Holy Spirit was the source of his power. Church, can I just stop there and say we need the Holy Spirit and his presence and his power like we have never needed it before. Look at the world around you. Listen, and I saw a little funny meme, and I know 90% of you have seen it too. It's like, do I need the Holy Spirit to go out into the world? You need Holy Spirit to go to Walmart. You been in Walmart lately? So look at verse 20 here in chapter 16. And as I read this, here's my point. God help us. I feel the weight of the Holy Spirit right now as I say this. Samson assumed his disobedience would never cost him. 
Samson assumed that his disobedience would never cost him anything. So look here, 16 verse 20. Then she called, Samson, the Philistines are upon you. He awoke from his sleep and thought, I'll go out as before and shake myself free. But he did not know that the Lord had left him. Then the Philistines seized him, gouged out his eyes, and took him down to Gaza, binding him with bronze shackles, and they set him to grinding in the prison. Samson didn't know that the Holy Spirit had left. Samson would have to fight this battle all on his own. Can I tell you something, church? You don't want to fight the battle against the enemy on your own. And I got good news for you this morning. God doesn't want you to fight it on your own. He does not. What is happening is now Samson would have to try to overcome his enemies in his own strength. And without God's help, what happened? He lost. So my question is, as we end this, how was Samson unplugged from the power source? If we can discover how spiritual power was lost in Samson's life, we likewise can learn how that we could find ourselves disconnected from the Holy Spirit. Can I tell you, I never want to be disconnected from his Holy Spirit. But we see as a warning here in Scripture, this applies to us today because God wants us to give us all of his heart. And if you choose free will, if you choose to continue to not do that, you have a blind spot in your life. Number one, spiritual power is lost when we forget the source. Everybody say source. Samson forgot that God was the source of his strength. Easy for any of us to forget that the Holy Spirit is the source. Delilah had persisted and persisted and persisted. And tell me your strength. Tell me what your strength is. And Samson ends up telling her everything. It wasn't his hair. Samson's hair was not the source of his great strength. God was his source. If you forget that God is the source and the strength and the protector and the one in your life that is keeping you and showing you blind spots, it's one of the first things that Samson did was forget where his real source is. Samson, like Delilah and the Philistines, looked for an external source or reason for Samson's strength. We too look at appearances, don't we? Do we not look at appearances? God does not look at outward appearance. The, the strength of, of, of his power was not in his appearance like he said. It's my opinion in reading this, and this is kind of scary. It's my opinion in reading this that when they shaved his head was not when he lost his connection to God's power source. I think he had lost it a long time before. And listen, when he needed God, parents in here, listen to me. You're going to come up against circumstances and situations in the lives of your kids growing up in the world today that is in front of us. You're going to need to tap into some power. It's not, well, I hope this goes well. Listen to me, people of God. You have an authority from the Holy Spirit. You have the living God. Samson was anointed and empowered by the Holy Spirit. It wasn't his hair. It wasn't any of these outward things. It was his inner life. My point is, is that everything can look good from the outside, but what God's asking this morning is what is going on in your heart because it's what's going on in your heart is going to show what is happening later on in your life. Number two, spiritual power is lost through ungodly relationships. Someone rightly said, show me your friends and I'll show you your future. The Bible says, blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked or stand in the way of sinners or sit in the seat of mockers. Simply put, we see in Samson's life, he continued. And and can I just say a quick caveat to what what I'm teaching and saying here? We are supposed to be those who love people in the world more than anybody else. But what we've done in the church is we've seen how close we can get to the world and act like them but still win them. And guess what, church? It's not working. I would rather people look at my life and see true spiritual anointing and power because when they do finally turn around and need somebody to pray for them and somebody to, to, to be there for them, listen, they're not looking for just some good old-fashioned Dr. Phil and Oprah. They're looking for the power of the Holy Spirit. 
Because Dr. Phil and Oprah have messed this country up. Because it's all about this. And what God is saying is all about this. And when you give God your whole heart, you have something that is inside of you that's saying, hey, I love you and I appreciate your friendship and I appreciate, you know, this happened to me, as you guys know, as my testimony, I, I, I came out of a, a lifestyle that was immoral. And what I had to do, even though it broke my heart, because when I got saved, I didn't stop loving all those old friends. I just realized that for me to walk in the ways of God and prosper, I had to distance myself from certain relationships. Why? Because they were walking in a different direction than I was walking in. What Samson found himself doing for 2,520 steps on that one day, because his eye got hooked to something and what your eye gets hooked to is going to multiply in your life, he was walking in the wrong direction. He was walking in the counsel of the ungodly because he never broke the old relationships out of his life. Or better yet, Lust. Lust will make you stupid. You might say, I don't like pastors. I mean, just sin will make you stupid. It absolutely will. Again, nobody wakes up one day and says, man, I've got a good life. My kids appreciate me and my wife loves me. Let me just go blow it all up. Nobody says that. That's why it doesn't happen one day. One big blow up at a time. It happens step by step by step by step. And one of the steps some of you have been starting to take, maybe perhaps away from God's will and what God wants, is just to evaluate who you are spending time with. It's a great evaluation, amen? Perhaps you may be wondering why God chose to use Samson if he continued to live with this in his life. Why didn't God just choose to use somebody else? That's a great question, so I'm going to give you a two-part answer this morning. Listen to this. This is the truth. First, God's message is more important than the messenger, and God's purpose is greater than the instrument he uses to accomplish it. Listen, I've counseled with people, and they've They've been just sorely devastated. Can, can I give you a tip this morning? Don't put me on a pedestal. Put him in your heart and give him all of it. That doesn't mean I don't endeavor to live right. I absolutely do. She makes sure I do. It's truth. But the power isn't in the sower this morning. The power is in the seed of what I'm saying. And secondly, and this should encourage all of us, The Lord never gave up on Samson. The Lord will never give up on you. Ever. Although that Samson, as we see, continued to have a life filled with compromise, God was patient. Everybody say patient. The Bible tells us that God is not willing for any to perish. It's not, it's not, we know that that's God's desire. God loves Samson enough to continue to work both in and through his life to make him into the man he wanted to be. Can I tell you, God is dedicated to making you into a man or woman of God this morning. And it's not so much about the things you've done. It's today about refocusing and giving your heart completely to him. Number three this morning, spiritual power is lost through being a fool. Samson acted foolishly, and he let himself be in the wrong place at the wrong time. Listen, he, how could somebody raised up as a judge to act in wisdom and discernment not act in wisdom and discernment to the place where he's taken captive? Simply put, he should have known better than to be in the place where Delilah was in the first place. However, when she persisted in wanting to know the secret of his strength and then set a trap to take Samson with the help of the Philistines, using his own words against him, then Samson should have known it was time to leave. That's the story if you're not familiar with it. He knew, are you listening to me? He knew that she was trying to get to the secret source of his power and he should have recognized what was going on and fleed from that situation. But can I tell you, the tendency of all of us is not to flee from it, but to play with it. Can I tell you, nobody can take fire, the Bible says, into your bosom without getting burnt. 
This especially applies to relationships. If you're married in here and you're texting with somebody that's not your spouse, you're dumb. The Bible calls you a fool because it's foolish because we think it's just innocent. We think it's just a little flirting. We think it's just a little lunch date with this person at work. Well, they really, they're the only really the ones that understand me. Can I tell you what the enemy's doing? He's setting up a Samson moment for you. Or take pornography, for instance. A young person, and this is why I, my heart is such, especially for our young men. Our, my heart just goes out to them because the world we live in, it's so accessible. Listen to me. The, the world doesn't tell you that 20 years down the road they will have dysfunctional marriages and relationships because they don't understand what intimacy in God's eyes is all about. The reason I say right here that it makes you a fool is because the devil never tells you what the, what the end of the payoff is and the decisions that you're making. The people you're spending time with are influencing you. You've got to understand what is the true source of spiritual power and the real reason you can overcome the enemy and all his temptations isn't because you look good in church this morning. It's what you get up and do on Monday morning in your devotion and giving your heart to God. Because God wants his bride to be clean. What is wisdom that he wasn't operating? Wisdom is knowledge put into action at the right time in the right way. I'll take it a step further. A lot of us us have knowledge. Knowledge is great. But wisdom is the application of knowledge. You say, what do you mean? Knowledge is knowing that a tomato is a fruit. Wisdom is not putting it in a fruit salad. God has given us his word in Proverbs to be able to live a successful life. Honestly, if you would just take the book of Proverbs and read it throughout your lifetime, I guarantee you, you'll end up where God wants you to be because you've guarded your heart. You've given it all to him. Samson kept blind areas because he never allowed God not to just come in and maybe rearrange a few things. Can I tell you something this morning? God's not interested in just rearranging a few things in your life. He came to take over this morning. He came to take it all. And so much of the church is living a lifestyle that is divided and, and they're heading towards spiritual disaster. And I just came to tell you this morning, that is not what God wants. So spiritual power is lost through foolishness and a loss of wisdom. Let's ask God for wisdom in, or, in, in order to maintain our spiritual power. Amen? Number one, spiritual power is lost when we forget God is our source. So number one, maintain spiritual power by staying close to God. Is that simple this morning? Stay close to him and you will... Maintain your spiritual anointing and authority. Number two, spiritual power is lost through unwholesome relationships. So maintain spiritual power by developing godly friendships. Simple. Maintain your power by maintaining godly relationships. That's what the church is all about. You might say, I don't like anybody here. (laughs) Repent of your bad attitude. Here's what I found out about God. He's not going to put you in a church where you agree with everything about everybody anyway. Because he's put you here to grow you. We don't have to agree on everything, but we can agree on this. God wants our hearts. And God wants you to have relationships that build you up, not pull you out. Uh, Again, I'll, I'll go back to college and career pastor, and Leah can totally understand this statement. Young people that are in here, listen to me. They'd always say they do what's called evangelistic dating. They'd bring a young man or woman to the group, and we'd meet them and talk to them. Very, most of them were just very good, you know, gracious, just likable people. So I'd talk to them as a pastor and say, "Well, tell me about them. Tell me, are they a believer?" Well, no. So I began to share. You understand, God's word has the power to keep you safe. God's not trying to take anything away from your life. He's trying to add to your life. So I said, well, the, 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 the advice of Scripture tells us don't be unequally yoked. Well, I believe, and this is what they say, I believe that by dating me, I'm going to pull them up. 
This could be even in your friendships right now. Well, I'm just going to hit the bar with my friends this Friday because I'm evangelizing. No, you're dumb. You hear me? You're foolish, the Bible clearly says, because here's the principle. It's a lot harder to pull somebody up than it is, it's easy for them to pull you down. It's easy for them to pull you the opposite direction. Again, that doesn't mean that we don't form relationships and have friendships outside and be able to witness to people. Number three, spiritual power is lost through compromise and sin. So maintain spiritual power by obeying God's word. If you're willing and obedient, you shall eat the good of the land. Number four, spiritual power is lost through foolishness and a lack of wisdom. So maintain spiritual power by learning to discern. Stand with me this morning. Alexis, if you'd come. You say, what is God asking me to discern? And we're going to have an altar call this morning. Felt very strongly that this is the direction, and I don't want anybody coming up and praying with anybody. I want this morning to be between you and the Lord. Because I have a question to end with this morning, and here's the question. Where are you stepping away from God? Where are you maybe allowing parts or pieces of your heart to be able to be divided? Where are you allowing your eye in this season of your life to get hooked to something that deep down in your heart and life you know that God is not in that? You know it. Can we all agree on something this morning as great as we look coming into church when we sit here with ourselves and God? We know areas of our life that don't line up with him. And today is not to bring condemnation. Today is to bring a warning from the Holy Spirit that now is the day and time not to be living with our hearts all over the place. We need our hearts completely focused on God. We need his power of his Holy Spirit in our lives. You listening at home, this goes for you too. You can make a virtual altar call just in your heart. But I, I, I think there's something powerful about us stepping out in the moment in just a couple minutes and just being able to ask ourselves this question, God, where am I stepping away from you? It might be anger. It might be pride. It might be lust. It might be greed. It might be an addiction or gambling. or It might even be just being passive in your spiritual life. It might be for some of you, This doesn't seem to be an issue today, but it could be. You're a workaholic. Lying. His hair was long. He was a Nazarite. And then he began to drift. My sermon is about our hearts and the fact that God does not want you drifting. He wants you solely focused on him. You are only as strong this morning as you are honest. Because I want to encourage you with this last scripture. And hit those lights for me back there. and Put us in back into worship mode. And I'm just going to make this altar call and invite you to come up and be honest with God and say, God, this is an area I'm starting to drift. Verse 22 of the same chapter we were reading. But the hair on his head began to grow again after he had been shaved just because he was down didn't mean he was out and he had the courage to turn around and cry out to God again church the devil loves to make strong people weak but God loves to make weak people strong when we give him all of our heart and ask him humbly to show us the blind spots would you join me around this altar just as an acknowledgement that God there's some areas in my heart that have been divided. There are some areas in my life that I've allowed to, myself to get hooked into. Again, this is I'm not going to come down and pray with you, but we will pray together at the end. But this is time for the next few minutes just to make a fresh dedication that, God, you have all of my heart. Thank you. The Holy Spirit's moving up here. I know you can sense him drawing and wooing you if you've said, Lord, I can deal with this right here. Again, this is an acknowledgement between you and God.
It's an acknowledgement that your heart has just kind of gotten drifted away. And today is just one of those promptings from the Holy Spirit to just get refocused back upon him. So again, I want to leave this open and let you come. Let me invite you to pray this together. Everybody here at this altar, I want to lead you in this. I want you to say this out loud. If you want to join us where you are, but those who acknowledge it says, God, I, I want my heart to be completely and totally devoted to you. I want you to pray this. And this isn't out of routine. It's out of what I feel led in my spirit just to bring us to a place of acknowledgement. I want to encourage you who came up here. God is for you. God is with you and God loves you so much that he gives you moments like this just to acknowledge, God, I feel myself being hooked into something that I know isn't you. Whatever that represents for you right here at this altar, I want you to know the scripture says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So this is us confessing to God, God, I need your help. I need you to focus me. So pray this with me. Dear Heavenly Father, I came to be honest today and acknowledge to you my heart is divided. My heart begins to be focused on things that it shouldn't be, Lord. So I ask you today, to strengthen my heart, to give me vision, to see only you, focus on only you. Lord, I ask that you guard my heart, protect my heart, show me my blind spots, and help me today to be strengthened against the enemy and against his attack his temptation and the things he would pull on me to do. Father, we ask you today to wash us, cleanse us. We love you in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. Amen. You guys can return to your seats right there. And uh, as you do, I want to just bless the congregation and uh, pray you have a wonderful day. It's beautiful out. You put God first today, and I just want to say that's exactly what we should be doing continually. When you wake up tomorrow morning, you pray that same prayer in your own language, in your own way. Just say, God, keep my heart protected, keep it focused on you, and I promise you he will. Because God is looking for all of our heart, for everything else flows out of it. So lift your hands while I bless you today. Yes. As a matter of fact, put your hands down. I was just reminded, Miss Julie, would you come up here real quick? We have a precious sister that is going to be moving away, and she's been a member and a part of this church for many years. Why don't you come right up here on the stage so everybody can see how precious you are. You're precious to us and to this congregation. Could you stretch out your hands, and can we just send her out with a blessing? She came to me just to few months ago and and as i encourage everybody to do when you got a major life decision to make she came to her pastor and we both prayed about it and prayed on it and i really felt that she was making a good wise decision she's going to move down further south from here and live with her son so that he can help take care of her and protect her and watch over but i want her to know she'll always be a part of this body and a part of our hearts she is precious and she's been such a wonderful member and I have had the pleasure of being her pastor for the last five years. And I just want to say that you should be an example to everybody here because you pray for me and you've never given me a single ounce of problem. <laughs> so be like Julie. Amen. Stretch your hands out and let's really genuinely bless her. Father, in the name of Jesus, we bless our sister today. Father, she has blessed us with her spirit, with her kindness. And with her love that she's poured out to so many, God, in her Bible study as she has taught people and shared the word of God. Father, oh, I feel the Holy Spirit, Julie. God is going to anoint you in even a greater way than what you have ever been anointed. This that you're going into is not a land 
that he is going to not open doors, but it's a land that's going to have more open doors. There are going to be doors of effectual ministry open to you that you never dreamed were possible. So, Father, I pray for her that you would anoint her greater, bless her mightier. God, be with her stronger. And, God, until you bring her back to be with us occasionally to visit, Lord, watch over and protect her. We, as a congregation, bless her going out. So she goes into the next season of her life, blessed and favored, protected, watched over. And God, may you plant her in the house of the Lord so she can continue to bear fruit and be a blessing for for a long time to come. Father, we love her, and God, we bless her today in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Why don't you put your hands together and thank God for her today. Father, bless and watch over CCC. God, if there be any among us who are sick or not feeling well in their body, Lord, we bind our faith together to say healing in Jesus' name for them. Lord, bless us as we go and as we depart from here. Lord, may it never be from your presence until you bring us back together at the appointed time. Lord, we love and praise you. God, put a hedge of protection around each member, each family, and each person at CCC. And God, we will give you all the praise, honor, and glory for it. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. Go in the name of the Lord and be blessed, church. Have a wonderful day.